I have to apologize. Uh, I know your bulletin says that our reading is going to come from Colossians 1, 1 through 14. Um, Sister Washington does a magnanimous, amazing, and wonderful job in the things she does. She's chairperson of our finance committee. Um, she's in the back counting the offering right now. Uh, she also prints the bulletins. And so when I told her what scriptures I wanted in the bulletin at the Old Testament reading, which we do during the call to worship, and the New Testament reading is usually the sermon, I told her Psalm 25, 1 through 10, and then Colossians 1, 1 through 14. That was Monday. Then we had several things happen throughout this week, and the Lord put it on my heart to do a different message. So, I mean, we just got out of Galatians, and I feel the Lord spoke well through those uh, those, those, that series walking through Galatians and I look forward to walking through Colossians over the next couple weeks but not today so turn with me if you will to uh, Amos and I am coming from the 7th chapter and I am going to start with the 7th verse and read all the way down to the 17th verse. That is Amos 7, chapter 7, verse 7 through verse 17. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to a plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, or asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting the plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. And then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, the king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you. In the very heart of Israel, the land cannot bear his words. For this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will surely go into exile away from the native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos am answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd and I also took care of the sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to the people of Israel. Now then hear the word of the Lord you say. Do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up. 
and you yourself will die in a pagan country, and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. God's word for God's people, and God's people said amen. Amen. I read from the, the uh, New International Version, but I like the way the King James Version says sometimes of uh, the verse 8 when he says, thus he showed me a plumb line, and towards the end of verse 8 it says, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people. I will not pass by them anymore. Uh, the title of my sermon is God Ain't Passing By Here. Come on, come on, come on here. Come on, come on, come on. Hmm. Charlemagne says that right action is better than knowledge. But in order to do what is right, we must know what is right. Right action is better than knowledge. But in order to do what is right, we must know what is right. With all that has been going on in this past week, we can kind of feel like God is not here. You have Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I was just in about a couple months ago for a meeting. For a couple days, I was in Baton Rouge, and you have someone that's selling CDs at a store front, corner store, and the police come. First off, I find it interesting because the store owner actually didn't make the call. Uh, according to a published report, it was a homeless person that made the call. They had approached Mr. Sterling about some money, and when he did not give him money, he kept pestering him, so he showed him his gun and told him to leave him alone. So this homeless person took a cell phone and called the police. He had a gun, yes, but Louisiana is what we call an open carry state. People can have guns. He should not have resisted. It's kind of hard to be calm when you've been tasered and body slammed. Your natural reaction to 50,000 plus volts running through you and somebody tackling you on the ground is not to relax and do whatever they want. It's in our body's natural defenses to defend him or defend ourselves. He had a criminal record. They say... I've heard uh, different attorneys say a particular adage that says when uh, the facts are against you, you argue the law. And when the law is against you, you argue the facts. But when the facts and the law are against you, you bang on the table and assault their character. So they bring up his, his, his record and attack his character, and I saw one of the other angles. Before, there was one angle that was, that was uh, someone had leaked out where it was far away. Uh, and, and then I saw another one that leaked out when they actually pulled the gun out of his buttoned short pocket because somebody had yelled he got a gun, and they had both of his arms restrained at the time but still managed to put six bullets in his chest and in his back. I saw that video in the parking lot when I was working out and I cried all the way home. But let's wait for the facts to come out. 
let's wait for all the facts to come out because we don't know what happened before the video started rolling. Let's let the justice system do its part. Let's not jump to conclusions. Where is God in that? And then we have Philando Castile, who was a concealed handgun carrier, had a license, worked as a cafeteria supervisor, feeding our children at school, informed the police officer that he was a concealed handgun carrier. He had his license, and he was going for his license and ended up getting shot multiple times in the chest. And his girlfriend that was in the car started rolling video, and they still treated her like, he, like, he was a, uh, like she was a criminal. And, and the police does not want to speak or confirm, but there was local news published reports that got a hold of the dispatch call that said that he fit the description of the robbery suspect that they were looking for because he had a wide nose just like him. And, and, and I saw the video of that, and that hurt me to my core of watching her have to back up slowly with the gun still drawn and multiple police officers pointing their guns at her. It hurt me to my core to hear her scream as her, her, the father of her children was dying in the front seat of the car, and she's crying, and the little baby is saying, it's okay, Bob, I'm here. It can feel like God is not there. Let's wait for the facts to come out. Let's wait for the, in, 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 the, the investigation to go forward. Where is God in that? And before we can get past all of that, of course, again, they went to attack this man's character. But lo and behold, he did not have a criminal record. But somehow he managed to get pulled over 63 some odd times. He had no criminal record. And then we have the protest in Dallas. That protest was set up long before what happened with Mr. Sterling and Mr. Castile had happened. That was going, but someone decided to have a peaceful protest and multiple Officers were wounded, and, and, and I've gotten differing reports. Either five or four officers were killed. But I have to say this. If you celebrated those officers being killed, you are part of the problem. Amen. If you think that Alton Sterling and, uh, and Philando Castile got what they deserved, you are part of the problem. But you have this peaceful protest and someone decided to start shooting at the cops. Let's wait for all the facts to come out. No, no, we will not wait for all the facts to come out. We'll, we'll start by slandering Michael Hughes because he was walking down at the protest with an AR-15 on his shoulder. But Texas is an open carry state. And his gun wasn't loaded. And when the fight, the, the gunfight started breaking out, he handed his gun over to the nearest police officer. But his face and name was plastered all over the news as he was the person of interest and he was the suspect and he was the person that was doing the shootings. 
We didn't wait for the investigation to go then. And then our very own lieutenant governor gets on national TV and calls the Black Lives Matter movement hypocrites. He blames all the previous protests that led up to this peaceful protest as a reason for that. And he says they're running towards the same people that they've been calling racist and killed. It's not about those who do their job. It is actually possible to be outraged at what happened to Alden Sterling and what happened to Philando Castile and be outraged about what happened in Dallas. Believe it or not, it's capable. We are capable of being against both of those things. He goes on the news and says that the Black Lives Matter movement, people have big mouths. Even though, and, and blames the Black Lives Matter movement, even though when they actually found the shooter who was military trained, he said he was not a part of the Black Lives Matter movement. But they still get blamed. If we are not allowed to paint all law enforcement with a broad brush, why should we be allowed to paint an entire movement or an entire group of people with that same broad brush? Where is God in that? Right. There comes a time and you feel like God is not involved in it. And I hear many, many, many rebuttals and arguments and I've, I have to log off of Facebook and social media and turn the news off and not do certain things because it gets, it gets, it inundates you and it makes you angry. And I hear about people trying to go over things and they say, what about black on black crime? Why are we not addressing black on black crime if we want to talk about that? Well, here's the thing about black on black crime. Black on black crime, in my opinion, is a myth. Here's why I say it's a myth. You go to the FBI homicide statistic reports and you will see approximately 3,000 people who are of African-American descent that are killed and you'll see more than 2,500, depending on what year, it could be as high as 2,700 people are killed and, and it lists the race of the person that was killed and the race of their offender. And you'll look and you'll see the overwhelming majority of the people who are, who are murdered that are black are murdered by black people. That's a fact, sometimes as high as 90%. But if you scroll down that same statistic table and you look at the majority of the Caucasian people that are killed, and about 86% of them are killed by Caucasians, you scroll further down that same homicide statistic report and you'll see that the overwhelming majority of the Hispanic people are killed by the Hispanic people. And you scroll down further and you'll see the overwhelming majority of the Asian people are killed by the Asian people. This is not black on black crime. It's not white on white crime. It's not Asian on Asian crime. We don't have all these epidemics. It's actually neighbor on neighbor crime. If you're going to be killed, you're more than likely going to be killed by somebody that lives in your neighborhood. If you're going to be robbed, you're going to more than likely be robbed by somebody that lives in your neighborhood. If somebody's going to break into your house and get your stuff out before you come home, they more than likely live in your neighborhood. We're not going from one side. The people are not going from one side of the town to the other. We, we by and large, unfortunately, are a bunch of segregated people. Yes, the Jim Crow laws have been repealed, but we all live in the same neighborhoods. We all shop in the same areas. We usually all work in the same areas. We all usually go to the same church. Where is God in that? 
So it's more about how people treat their neighbors more than anything else. Now, I'm not saying that any of that is right. And I'm not saying it does not need to be addressed. But what I am saying is that that is a point of red herring when it comes to what is going on in the community and when certain people are outraged about it. That's one of the things that they have a problem with. And then there are people that have a problem with Black Lives Matters. And they say all lives matter. I don't know where the All Lives Matter movement is. I've never heard of it. I've met with people that are different chapters that run the Black Lives Matter movement, and it's actually a very decentralized group. And I find it very interesting because when I went to class in Dallas and had an opportunity for the Reverend Michael Waters to come speak, he was over all of that in Dallas, and that's somebody who is seminary trained at the same seminary that I am attending. And then I also had an opportunity most recently to meet with the Houston leader, or one of the Houston leaders, uh, well, three of them, of, uh, of, of the Houston Black Lives Matter movement. One of them is Princeton Seminary Educated. The other one is in seminary with me together, so I don't see this as an exclusionary movement. They got into these schools and they got to hearing about justice and social justice and caring for your fellow man and, and, and they got out to do this. This is not an exclusionary movement. But let's talk about the name. All Lives Matter versus Black Lives Matter. If I were to go to a restaurant with a group of people and everybody got their food and I didn't and I said... I have not gotten my food. Johnny, be quiet. Everybody deserves to get food. And as they eat their meal, yes, that is right. Everybody that sat at the table deserves to get food. But if I mention that I'm not neglecting everybody else, I'm pointing out the fact that I don't have any food. The name is about what's being excluded, and that doesn't mean you don't go to a cancer rally when people are talking about breast cancer and you say, well, what about prostate cancer? You're neglecting prostate cancer. You don't go when they say save the whales, you start talking about, well, what about all the other endangered animals out there? You're neglecting them as well. They're talking about this situation. So where is God in that? And coming back to the text, we have Amos in a bad situation. He has been commanded to preach the word to the people of God because their attitudes and their actions and the way that they're treating each other and the way that they're acting towards God is not a good thing. And God is saying, I'm about to stop coming around here. I'm about to stop coming around the northern kingdom. You all are being a stiff-necked people. Set in your ways and thinking that you know everything that's going on. And, 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 and so Amos had a vision. And this was the third of the visions that he had during that passage. And is in a situation he's seeing a plumb line. A plumb line is a string with a piece of metal usually hung to it that's a weight. And you measure back in the day when they were trying to build buildings, you know, they have to be level, right? They have to be level across. And then they also have to stand up straight. And, be, and, 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 and the walls have to be straight in order for it to be built correctly. And so you measure the, the horizontalness of it with a level, but you measure whether or not it's upright with a plumb line. And he says he sets it up against a wall. 
And I find it interesting that this play on words, because one thing that's not mentioned in the wall, it says that the wall is made and been built true to a plum, but the word that they use for wall is actually tin. It's not, no, it's not brick and mortar. It's not steel. It's not something that stands up. And so here you are, he's saying in his vision that the people think they are upright. But they're not. And they think that they have protection. But their protection is as good as aluminum foil without God. So you can think that you're doing something. You can think that you're upright. You can think that you're protected, but you're actually not. You're being delusional about it. We have to get back to God. We can't measure by our own standards. We can't measure by anybody else. We have to measure by God's standards. Because when we keep measuring by our own standards, when we keep acting on our own, God is not going to pass by. And so he says that, that they're, they're in there and there's a plumb line and he's not going to pass by. He's not going to spare them any longer. He's not there. They, they've gone on about their way. And then Amaziah, the, the, the priest of Bethel, he goes to Jeroboam and he tells, he snitches, he tattletales, he rats. And I find it interesting that this is a priest that is doing this. And here he is and he tells Amos, you can't come around here anymore. We don't like what you're doing. And in some translations, it actually says, earn your bread elsewhere. And I thought about this text and how applicable it was to the time because in all the anger and all the outrage that I saw amongst the people going on, they would ask, where are the pastors? Where are the pastors? And somebody would often respond, taking your tithes and offerings and going on their way. Now, I'm not saying that all pastors are taking it, but I keep hearing the same handful of pastors being mentioned as if that is the, the rule and not the exception. I've gotten into several debates and discussions today. They think that all of us pastors are here getting all kind of money and getting fat rich off of the people and not doing it. I've worked at churches where I paid more in in tithes to the church than I got in a salary. Average United Methodist Church salary for a pastor in Texas is 38K. You can't get no private jet with that. You can't get no bins with that. And most of, the, most of the pastors I know are like me. They work a full-time job and then come pastor on Sundays. So we can't all be out here taking it, but you'll be accused of that. They'll immediately accuse you of that, and that's what they accused Amos of doing it. And the part that hurt me the most about Amaziah accusing Amos of doing that is that Amaziah was a priest. Here we are once again, the people of God attacking other people of God. Christianity, the only army where we shoot our own. We too busy shooting each other in the back instead of uniting and coming together. God is not passing by that. And then he tells them to get out of Bethel. And again, I, ask, when I hear the people asking, where are the pastors? They've been kicked out. We've been kicked out of the schools. We've been kicked out of the music. We've been kicked out of some churches. We've been removed and we're all about not offending people. And we're letting the tail wag the dog. 
the people in the minority are talking about things like tolerance and the universe and things because they don't want to talk about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And if you tell me I can't come to the school because you're worried about me talking about Jesus, if you tell the students that they can't pray in school, if you go all everywhere you go and you can't say Jesus on the air and you can't say Jesus in the music and you can't say Jesus on the television and then when tragedy strikes, where are the pastors? You kicked us out. It's hard to go where you're not welcomed. And Amos was told in no certain terms he was not allowed back there. And not only was he not allowed back there, he was lied on. Said the high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuary of Israel will be destroyed. And with my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. And he said that he told him, Amaziah came back, and when he got to telling Jeroboam what Amos said, he had flipped it all around, misinterpreted the text, raised, you know, put his own translation on it while he was snitching to make it worse. And he told him, And he kicked them out. And so I I find it interesting because I see pastor after pastor being told you're not welcome. I see text after text being misquoted and taken out of context. Everybody always wants to talk about when you talk about Jesus or you talk about the law, they want to go to that one part of Leviticus and ask, why are we wearing clothing that is of mixed fabric and why are we eating pork and why are we eating shellfish if you really about the Bible you're taking them five you're taking them same handful of scriptures out of context there was a reason in a time that they were told not to wear certain things and not to eat certain things in, in there but then there came a time in the New Testament where the same person was told rise Peter kill and eat Amen. don't call anything I've made unclean so if Amos can be taken out of context then I know that this is nothing new. If Amos can be misquoted, then I know that this is nothing new. And so we expect the reputation to be attacked. We expect the stuff that we say to be misquoted. We expect to be told we're not allowed to be here. And when we are told we're not allowed to be here, then they say, well, where are the pastors? Where is the church? Why are these people leading this? What's going on here? And you've raised up a generation of people that don't have the same reverence and respect for God. Now, I'm not saying this to say that God ordained any of this trouble. I don't teach that. I believe that there are evil people in the world and there are people that do evil things. I'm not saying that God shot Alton Sterling. I'm not saying that God shot Philando Castile. I'm not saying that God shot those police officers in Dallas. I'm saying you're looking for God, but you've not created an environment for him to be there. So what do we do with what's going on when we feel that God has not passed us by? The first thing we need to do is pray. Let the church say pray. Pray. We are to pray without ceasing. We are to pray and continuously pray. I've heard people say, I'm tired of praying. Well, pray some more. I guarantee prayer will do better than you arguing with somebody on Facebook. I guarantee prayer will do better than you changing your profile picture to all black. 
I guarantee prayer will do better than you going back and forth and questioning where's the church. We all are the church. You don't need just a pastor to pray. Everybody needs to pray. And that will do a whole lot more than us sitting around arguing with each other and talking big and tough on social media and being as quiet as a mouse everywhere else. Talking big and tough on social media and couldn't bust a grape in a vineyard with a bulldozer. So what do we do? We pray. And the Bible says to pray without ceasing. The Bible says in Psalm 82 that God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will he judge the unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? But it says he'll defend the the poor and the fatherless and do justice to the afflicted and the needy to deliver the poor and the needy and free them from the hand of the wickedness. Seek God and pray. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 to seek the Lord while he may be found. And call him while he's near. First Chronicles says in 16, seek the Lord with all his strength and seek his face evermore. And Philippians says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, will humble themselves and pray, will humble themselves and pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will forgive their sin and I will heal the land. Pray. Pray, 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 and keep praying. You know, that last one was 2 Chronicles 7, right? And when you read 2 Chronicles 7, that comes after chapters 5 and Six And while we read them five, six, seven in the book, the actual time difference in the text between six and seven is 20 years. So we have to keep praying. Second thing we got to do after we pray is not return evil for evil. I'm not saying to be a coward. I'm not saying to turn tail and run. Meekness is strength under control. When you tame a wild horse, that wild horse did not lose its strength. It just learned how to better control it. So we don't return evil for evil. We need to be smart and strategic about everything that we do. Jesus told us to be shrewd as serpents. That shrewdness was understanding what was going on. Romans says to be in the world but not of the world. That means you're in it and you're not consumed by it. But you still need to know how it works. Meekness is strength under control. And the funny thing that I see about how stuff gets accomplished. Yes, there is a place for protests. There is always a place for uprising. But I see even after the uprising and the protests that go on, there are a bunch of people that sit in a room where ain't nobody else there. Mm-hmm. And that's how the stuff gets hashed out. Mm-hmm. All right. So the protest is there to get, get, get you uh, thinking about it. But nothing changes until the leaders actually sit down and hash it out together. 
And a lot of times that happens behind the scenes. So you got to be, you got to be smart of how you fight. And we talk about the bus boycotts, and that is an awesome thing. And, and the protests were one thing, but it was the boycott that got the bus to change, the bus system to change their mind when they saw that the money was missing. When they saw that their infrastructure went away, that's what changed. It's got to be about more than sore feet in a hoarse voice. So we don't return evil for evil. We got to be smart about it. And the last, another thing we got to do is the last is get involved. We have a bad habit of only paying attention to national news and expecting the president to change everything, him or herself. And, and presidential elections are important by all means. But so are local things. We ought to be worried about who our next president is going to be. That's going to be important. But we also need to be just as worried about who our next mayor is going to be. We got to be just as worried about who our city council representative is going to be. We got to be just as worried about who's on our school boards. We got to be just as worried about who's on our state as a representative. Because by the time there's this national outrage about what's happened, you missed that the election happened locally. And when they had that local election, they redistrict the voting regions and, and, and gerrymandered who voted for what. And so then the law got passed locally and there's a bunch of local laws that got passed that messed you up. And so by the time it makes national news, it's too late. You worried about police officers Well, they're hired at the city level. If you get involved in the city level, that will help you worried about the state patrol. That's at the state level. Who is your state representative? Who is your local representative? You have to turn to that because more damage is being done at your school board and your neighborhood association and your PTA than you could ever imagine. So we need to pray. We need to not return evil for evil. And we need to be smart about what we do and we need to get involved. I was at a meeting the other night and one of the same person said we have to hold people accountable. You worried about how police react. You have to go to your council person and say if this is not changed, I'm not voting for you next time. We will put somebody else in your place. But if all we do is watch change our Facebook page to all black. Get online and argue with a bunch of people and call them all out their names if they ain't for the movement and ready to tool up and get a gun or do something else when we won't do that much ourselves. Then it won't change. We need to pray. Not return evil for evil. Be smart about what we're doing in the future and get involved. And then we need to make sure that we put Jesus at the focus of that. Jesus told us how to act. Jesus told us how to love our neighbor. Jesus told us everything that we needed to do in order to get right. Mm -hmm. And if we'll do it, 
If we'll spend that time in the book, and not only spend that time in the book, but acting out what's in the book, we'll be a whole lot better off. Jesus, mm-hmm. my blessed potentate. Mm. Jesus, yeah. the bishop of souls. Yeah. Jesus, mm-hmm. the good shepherd. Mm-hmm. Jesus, the one who hung, bled, and died for my sins. Mm-hmm. I can turn to him. Kings and kingdoms will all fade away, but there is something about Jesus. Jesus is the name above all names. Jesus is the name that every knee shall bow. Jesus is the name that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We got to turn to Jesus because he died for our sins. But that's not where the story ended. He got up with all power in his hands in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. The doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.